this meeting back to order. All right, good evening and welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public meetings. In addition to our live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our website at qac.org live or on our television channel, Riesline Channel 7 and High Definition Channel 507. Citizens may also participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to qac.org slash public comment. Citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. All comments received will be summarized during the present public comment period on tonight's agenda. We acknowledge everyone's participation and by attending you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you do care to speak, please sign up at the information table in the lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, that brings us to the uh, tonight's agenda. So our agenda for today's tonight's meeting, February 27th, along with the regular session minutes, the closed session minutes, the roads boards minutes, the sanitary commission minutes from our February 13th meeting, uh, and the closed session minutes from the January 31st meeting have been circulated for review. Do we have any additions and or corrections? Motion to approve the agenda and all the above minutes as submitted. Second. A motion is second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? So moved. Thank you, commissioners. So we just held a closed session under general provisions article 3305B1 to discuss personnel, and uh, there were no decisions made uh, on personnel this evening. So I believe that brings us to press and public comment. So we have our first press and public comment period. Appreciate all citizens for taking time to express views to the county commissioners. Comments are limited to three minutes per person. Comments longer than three minutes may be submitted in writing. This commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, your address, and your topic of interest. And in keeping with the dignity of our office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. Jay Falstead. Commissioners, Jay Falstad, Queen Anne's Conservation Association. I don't want my comments here to be uh, interpreted uh, one way or the other here. This is just a matter of public interest. So um, earlier today, I did get a call from a resident of Southersville wondering about tonight's meeting on the water and sewer amendment. And um, there were two issues concerning this. One was that um, the sign that was, I guess, near the middle school um, didn't have information on it. All it had was that there's a notice uh, that there's going to be water and sewer, and it provided a phone number. But it didn't provide any information on dates or when the meeting was, any of that. Um, 
There's also no notification along Elevator Road, uh, which goes along the back end of Southersville. There's also no notification on the town of Southersville's website about tonight's meeting. And so there is a very good probability that most residents of Southersville don't even know about tonight's meeting. And so just as a matter of public interest, since the Foxfields project is one of the biggest um, subdivisions to come down the pike in a very long time, um, I guess I would urge that you all consider postponing tonight's hearing until proper notification can be advanced so that citizens actually know what this is about, how it's going to impact their community. I don't think it's an unreasonable request, but the sign that's up there right now is not even a permanent sign. It's just on two by fours that the wind's blown it over. I, I sent you all a picture just a little while ago. And so I think just as a general matter of public interest, postponing tonight's hearing um, is probably not an unreasonable request. So with that, thanks for your time. Thank you. Keith Griffith. Hi, Keith Griffith, 120 South Church Street, Southersville, Maryland. I would also like to talk about Southersville. Um, I understand your request made, but we've also postponed and delayed things for 15 plus years. So with that, I'd like to start by saying that the Commissioner of Southersville fully support the amendment for the following reasons. Number one, it is consistent with the town's comprehensive plan. The property has been within the town limits for years, so this is no new annexation or anything like that. The owner has met all the town's planning zoning requirements and has been in the review process for about two years. The amendment is the last remaining step. The town expanded its sewer and water facilities based on its comprehensive plan for servicing vacant properties within the town limits moving forward. So it's important to utilize these developments to start paying towards the debt services for the town's sewer and water facilities that we currently have. And this amendment is also consistent with the county's 2022 comprehensive plan update, which moves growth to the towns due to the limited availability of sewer within the county. I'd like to respectfully ask that we move forward with this. I think that the people of Southersville have been delayed long enough with getting ourselves back on track where they need to be to become the prominent town we were before. So I'd ask that we move forward with this public hearing and get to a resolution as soon as we possibly can. Thank you. Thank you. That's all that's signed up. Would anybody else like to speak at this time? Thank you. Uh, commissioners, this comes from Cindy Hardesty. I would like to bring up the Route 8 overpass closing due to heavy traffic at the Bay Bridge. We oppose any further action or study to stop motorists from using Route 8 ramps onto 50 West. It is absurd to expect the people who are basically trapped, mostly Queens County residents, because of the extreme excessive traffic to inconvenience us even more. We are prisoners already, and to add further insult is unacceptable and a horrible plan. So please duly take note that we do not want this kind of unnecessary restrictions done in the future. We realize someone believes they are appeasing the complaints of the disaster of the Bay Bridge situation, but it is evident it is not helpful or a solution. Regards, Cynthia Hardesty. And that's all I have. Good. All right. We'll close press and public comment. I'm sure that the last one was from the notice that's been mailed for town hall talking about the bridge and, and the options of uh, ramp closures April 10th at 6.30 p.m. at um, Bayside Elementary. So anybody that can get there, come on out, and voice your opinions, and we'll see where that takes us. Very good. Moving on. All right. <clears throat>
Okay, commissioners, we can move into the legislative portion of this evening's uh, agenda. If you want to turn to uh, tab number seven. Tab number seven, uh, pages one through two. This is the information for the comprehensive water and sewer plan proposed amendment. This is a public hearing for the Fox Farm subdivision within the town of Sellersville. This is a, an amendment request to upgrade the sewer and water service map designation from S3W3 to S2W2. So, uh, Mr. Thompson, would you come up and um, Mr. Quimby? So we have Pat Thompson our county attorney and our director of public works, Alan Quimby. So gentlemen, uh, perhaps maybe you could um, describe the required public notification process. Well, uh, the county code doesn't require to be published in the newspaper or general circulation in the county for two successive weeks. So you don't At have the to town post? of Sutterville? Uh, You're saying the town of Sutterville has to do this? No, the, the, the county. county does okay. the county plan. So it doesn't need to be posted with signs? Okay. There's a legal requirement for it. No, we take that additional step, and if you look at those pictures of the sign, you see the PVC tube inside of which are copies of the advertisement. In addition, we mail all adjacent property owners copy of the advertisement. In addition, we put those signs similar to the one, the orange sign in front of the town hall, I made a decision not to put it on elevator road because I thought it'd either be stolen or shot up. <laughs> that happens over here? <laughs> happens up there. North, North County. <laughs> you need to get that stuff straight, Jack. Hey, I love it. <laughs> we don't have no strangers. Please, please proceed. Here is being held with the County Commissioner of Queen Anne's County, 5.30 p.m. Tuesday, February 27, 2024. In the commission meeting room, Liberty Building, 107 North Liberty Street, Centerville, Maryland. Purpose of the hearing is to consider amending the Queen Anne's County 2011 Comprehensive Water and Sewage Plan. In addition to the hearing, an informational presentation was made all at 5:35 p.m. on 5:35 p.m. on Tuesday, February 13, 2024, also in the commission meeting room. Copies of the proposed amendment have been available at the Office of the County Commissioner of Queen Anne's County, 107 North Liberty Street, Central Maryland, and available electronically by sending a request to aquimby at qac.org. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assistive listening systems are available. Persons who wish to comment on the proposed amendment may do so at this hearing. Be limited to three minutes each, but written testimony of any length may be submitted on before the hearing date to Director of Public Works, 312 Safety Drive, Central Maryland. Part of the record of the proceeding will be a certificate of publication indicating that notice of the hearing was published in the Bay Times Record Observer for two successive weeks prior to tonight's hearing. The, the amendment under consideration is the Fox Farm subdivision within the town of Sutlersville. This property owned by Fox Farms LLC is predominantly vacant agricultural lands which reside within the incorporated limits of the town of Sutlersville. It is shown on tax map 13G as parcel 17, approximately 96 acres in size and its own single family residential. The proposal is, allow, is to allow for the 
the construction of 98 townhomes and 125 single-family lots. Property currently holds the sewer and water service map designation of S3W3. The amendment requested to upgrade the sewer and water service map designation to S2W2, which is service on demand. Flows from the use are anticipated to be 55,750 gallons per day. Sewer and water service will be provided by the town of Selderville sewer and water system. Um, Joe, you had uh, you represent the applicant. Good evening, commissioners. Um, uh, Joseph Stevens on behalf of um, a Fox Farm and the applicant. This is a county master water and sewer plan amendment. It's not an action by you know the town of, town of Sudler's bill. Um, and what I'll do is just provide for the record a, a aerial photo that shows the location of the property, which is within the town limits, as uh, Mr. Thompson had described. But just to have that included as part of the record. Without objection. Thank you. And then also the county's two master water and sewer plan maps, one for <coughs> sewer, one for water, which shows this is designated in the purple you can see as W3 and S3. So that's for, four to, uh, that's for plan service within four to 10 years, as equated to in, the, in this plan was from 2014 to 2020 is when it was planned to have service. This property was annexed into Sutlersville years ago. Um, and, um, and is part of the Southersville's um, growth area. Um, and as the county has most recently, with their comprehensive plan 2022 update, has earmarked and moved and has a significant policy where the growth is to occur within the towns, the towns that have the sewer and water facilities. Um, clearly, Sudlersville has the sewer and water facilities. You have a letter from the town commissioners, which I assume is also part of the record for the hearing. Ellen has that. Okay, thank you. And, um, and our application is, is part of the record. Um, and so you can see that, the, that the, the town of Sutlersville has had capacity for quite some time. And, uh, and you heard Mr. Griffith say, um, one of the town commissioners, say that you know, these projects in areas that are already in the town, this isn't a new annexation area, uh, are important to, um, um, to um, uh, uh, come online so that the, the towns can pay their debt service on these plants that they expanded in anticipation of this growth. This is what happened back after you know, we had our boom years in 2006, seven, and eight, is that none of these development mater developments materialized, none of them around Sellersville. And, um, but the plant did get expanded, um, and, um, um, and so there is capacity for that, and there's debt service that needs to be paid as a result of that. Um, the only other thing I'd like to point out is, is that uh, I've been through the master water sewer plan, and this property, this request, meets every requirement of the master water and sewer plan, every prerequisite. And you can certainly you know, ask the, the, the director of public works whether he concurs with that or not. But essentially, for a property to become S2 um, from S3, it has to have an approved concept plan. Well, we have an approved preliminary and final subdivision plan. The final is conditional final because we have to get the amendment in order to get allocation. We can't do a public works agreement until it's S2W2. Um, 
Critical area growth allocation has been awarded. That's not applicable. It's not in the critical area. Um, sewer and water allocations have been granted. Well, we can't do that. We can't get it granted until after we're into S3, I mean S2W2. That there's capacity, you have the letter from that. And then afterwards, um, the Department of Environment, after you act, as you know, will have to act and they have to agree you know, or, or they can, you know, they can um, uh, deny the request. I can't see how, why they would or how they would. Um, the um, other requirements are that you have a signed letter from the town indicating um, that the amendment's consistent with its plan, you have that. That you have a signed letter from the town indicating that there's capacity, you have that. And a signed letter from the town um, requesting that the project be amended into the master water and sewer plan, you have that. And the reason you have that is because this isn't new to, to the town. They've been working on this for over two years, as Mr. Griffith said. I mean, this has been to the Planning Commission several times, and it's been discussion items at the town commissioners' meetings several times. Final requirements, if this were within the county, you'd have to have a concept plan by the Planning Commission. Again, we have preliminary and final subdivision approval, final subject to this, and the positive recommendation from the, the county, which equates to the town, and you have that positive recommendation. So there's no further that this can go without an amendment. I mean, it, it needs the amendment to the Master Water and Sewer Plan. It's consistent with the plan. From a timing standpoint, the plan itself is um, um, is uh, 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 is it's already several years later than what the county's plan anticipated for this property to be you know to be served with public sewer and water, and that's just because the market just wasn't there, and that's why Sudlersville's had some of the uh, debt service issues that it's had over the past four or five six years. So we'd ask that you act on it um, in terms of you know public facilities and so on and so forth. Um, while the um, uh, the town is not subject to the adequate public facilities ordinance. Um, they did require a traffic study be done, and the traffic study showed levels of service A's for all intersections that, that, that State Highway wanted studied, um, and that was part of the subdivision approval process. Um, and, um, and from a school standpoint, I think Mr. Cahoon and, and, and Mr. Quimby have provided you with data that shows significant capacity in both the elementary and middle, um, and in regards to the high school here in, here in um, Centerville, um, there may be some slight in overages of capacity as we look out 10 years, you know, and this full build out is going to be at least 10 years. Um, and from that standpoint, um, uh, the, the, the county's going to have to address that because they've moved so much growth to the town. Centerville's going to have projects, and you know they're in the pipeline. And, and, um, and you've got the Wheatland Farms down in, um, down in Queenstown, um, and you've got some other properties around that you know, will be going to Centerville High School. But because of the slow build out of this, and I have somebody here from La Crosse Homes who is, that's who Fox Farms LLC is, is La Crosse. Um, they'll be able to tell you, you know, from the time they put a shovel in the ground, they're probably looking at a 10-year build-out for the project. So uh, we hope you act on it. And, uh, and if you have any questions, I'm here. I have Kevin Sharon here, who's also the project engineer, if you have a more technical question. So, um, so my understanding is it's not subject to an APFO. Uh, the APFO does not, is not applicable in the towns. The towns don't have an APFO. The, the county's ordinance does not apply to properties in the town. The county's impact fee ordinance, however, does. 
So they will pay over $2 million in impact fees that will go to um, um, whatever capital improvements, school improvements, expansions, and things like that. So APF doesn't apply, but impact fees apply. So you're not, you don't get around that. It's about 10000 a unit that they'll be paying in impact fees. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you, Pat. Is there any further comment from the town from Sutherville? Yes. For. Are you for the project? Am I for it? Yes. No. Okay, wait. He's going to get to you. <laughs> Damn, no, I just, like I said, I'd like to follow up on my request that we move forward with this. As, like I said, we dealt with enough delays within the town of Sutherville, and that's the reason we're in the position we're in now. All right. Thank you. Other person I have signed up is Bruce Orr. Hi, good evening. My name is Bruce Orr. I actually work for the Crawl Zones. There you go. Sorry for my height. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that I want to bring up and, and we talked about is the impact that this community, this development will have on the local economy. Um, the people that we employ to build these homes is plumbers. Um, people that are doing the framing work, doing the <coughs> concrete work. So there's multiple organizations that are positively impacted by the development of this, of this community. So not only will it supply homes for people that need housing, but also apply jobs for the folks that are, that are working for our company as well. So, and also employing the folks that, that do work for La Crosse Homes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's all I have signed up. Is there someone else had a comment? Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Patty Walls. I am. I live in Southersville, Maryland. Um, a couple things. There has not been an impact study done on the schools, and I can tell you that the, the middle school and the elementary school are not equipped to handle this population right now, as well as the infrastructure of the fire hall, the police department, et cetera. Um, and it's just a shame it has to come to this because of a bad decision that was made several years ago with the, with the water tower, and now the town's broke because of this. I think there's other ways to go about it, um, but I think there need, everyone needs to take a hard look at the infrastructure um, because that was, a, that was not true, what he said, that the elementary school and the middle school is able to hold the capacity today. I was just quoting the staff report. Yeah, that's wrong. So that's all. Thank you. Any other public comment? We'll, we'll close the public comment. We'll hold the vote for two weeks. And hold the comment open for two weeks, too. Yeah. Same. Yes. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. All, right. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. All right, continuing on, commissioners, with our agenda under legislation, we have a community development block grant request for a second public hearing. And as part of the community development block grant requirements, we must hold a, an additional public hearing to present a progress report for several projects, which I will list here in a minute. Uh, the purpose of the hearing is to update the public on the activities and accomplishments resulting from the use of the allocated grant funds. First one is Queen Anne's County Adaptive Reuse Feasibility Study for the former Sutlersville Middle School. The second one is the COVID-19 Grant Emergency Rental Assistance and Home Delivered Meals. And the last one is for the new roof for the Foxtown Senior Center and Apartments. And Mr. Mike Clark, uh, Chief of Housing, is here to um, officiate the hearing. 
So Mike, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you very much. And thank you. And as Todd said, we are required by um, the, the federal government, Housing Urban Development HUD, who's, which is overseen for us at the state level, the Maryland Department of Housing and Community Development, to hold hearings for our community development block grant. You may recall when we were here last week, or la the last meeting for the Department of Community Services, we, we touched on the fact that the community development block grant yeah, has a lot of I's to be dotted and a lot of T's to be crossed, but at the same point, it provides some pretty nice resources for our county, and uh, we have to, well, we have to do a lot of work to make it happen. We're lucky enough to have Kelly Huber, who you might recall is a former Carrot Counts person, but now she's a housing program administrator, and under one of her duties is to oversee and make sure that we are doing the work for the Community Development Block Grant. And as Todd mentioned, um, we're required to have two hearings for every project. And this is the second hearing for three projects as we work to kind of wrap up most of them. Um, so with your permission, I'd just like to move forward, introduce one project, see if we have any comments on it, and then move to the next one. Um, the first project is the Queen Anne's County Adaptive Reuse Feasibility Study of the former Sellersville Middle School. And the feasibility study was successfully completed in December 2022. The grant period officially ended in November 23. It has comprehensively assessed the former Sellersville Middle School building and grounds, offering value insights into the adaptive reuse options. The recommendations highlights efficient and cost-effective approaches for redevelopment, paving the way for informed decision-making of that building. That, um, and we don't have anyone signed up for that. The next one is the COVID-19 Emergency Rental Assistance and Home Delivered Meals Grant. The Home Delivered Meals Program, supported by a COVID-19 grant, successfully provided nutritious meals to residents aged 60 and over. Originally awarded through a community development block grant for rental assistance and quarantine sheltering, the program demonstrated adaptability by amending the grant to redirect funds to address critical needs. Prior to closing, Home Delivered Meals was offered additional funds of $39,000 through CDBG and an extension of time. We were able to utilize the additional funds to support seniors in Queen Anne's County, closing the completing, closing and completing the project in December of 2023. And we don't have anyone sign any comments on that either. And then lastly is the new roof for the Foxtown Senior Center and Apartments. The Queen Anne's County Division of Housing and Community Services secured $650,000 to replace the roofs of the Southersville Senior Center and Foxtown Senior Partners addressing water leakage issues. The roofing projects are near completion and it appears that there may be surplus funds available. These extra funds offer the opportunity to undertake additional small projects and upgrades within the facilities, enhancing the overall quality and functionality. And that, we don't have anyone signed up to that yet either. So with that, that's everything we got. Very well. Thanks, Thank Mike. You. Thank you very much. Mike. Thank you, Mike. No, Mike, just because there's nobody here signed up to speak on behalf doesn't mean oh. that the work you do isn't critical. <laughs> so I'm completely you. fine with the way it went. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Usually they only yep. show up when they're against something. Exactly. Yeah. They're doing good. Take solace in that, Mike. All right, commissioners, we can move into the presentations portion of our meeting this evening. So uh, that would be tab number six, item one. 
On pages one through 16, we have Miss Kelly Hamilton. She's gonna come up and give us uh, an update on our animal services division. And uh, that presentation is in your book again, pages one through 16, item one. And we also have it up on the screen uh, for our viewing audience as well. So Kelly, take okay. it away. All Hi, right, everybody. welcome. Good to see you all. Hello. So I wanna go ahead and talk to you a little bit about the successes um, and some of the other things moving forward here that we had in 2023 and what to expect in 2024 from animal services. So we wanna talk a little bit about our intake. Um, our intake was actually an increase of 29% from uh, 2022. Okay, I know that dog wearing the sweater is precious. <laughs> um, so our intake is based on uh, the different categories that you see there. So strays continue to be our highest number intake um, into the shelter, and this year it was um, almost 600 animals that came in. Good portion of those are going to still be those young stray kittens that people are finding in, in litters, okay? Um, but that number was, was substantially higher than it was last year. Uh, owner and guardian surrenders, um, just shy of 300 this year. Our return adoption numbers are actually down from 60 to 49 from 2022 to 2023. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those things moving forward as to why we're able to start decreasing that number. Um, seized custody, this is uh, animals that are coming in through animal control for various reasons. Um, service in, we talk a little bit about that. That number is substantially higher, and the reason is is because we have started to do all of our um, spay-neuter grant um, that comes through the Department of Ag. We're actually doing all of those services now in-house instead of outsourcing them to spay now and other various animal hospitals. Um, so that number is substantially higher, which is, in fact, a, a great thing. Um, cats will always continue to be our highest uh, species coming in to the shelter at um, just under 850. Uh, dogs 371 other could be anything from we had a turtle this year we had a stray snake believe it or not um, all sorts of different creatures that do find their way to us so we'll talk a little bit about what those strays are and what we do when they come in um, dogs and cats and all these other little creatures that do find their way they automatically go on a seven-day stray hold this allows time for the owners to come forward claim their animal Animals at that time through Maryland state law are required for a rabies vaccine if they're old enough, which is um, 12 weeks and older. Um, before they're released, they will get those vaccines. Depending on any medical conditions, we may go ahead and start them on any type of treatment. If they come in injured, we start them on pain meds or, or seek out veterinary help. Um, 166 animals that came in as strays um, found their way back home in 2023, and that's a 39% increase from 2022. And really what we did is we've uh, ramped up our social media campaign when these animals do come into strays. Um, we actually teamed up with Petco Love Lost. Um, they actually are using facial recognition for animals to help you find that animal. It's, it's amazing, the technology is there. Um, so we're using facial recognition to try to uh, get these uh, animals back uh, home. So um, not only that, but the, all these animals have to be spayed or neutered after uh, they come in as strays. If nobody claims them, we have got to provide that surgery for them. So our surgery success, we did 889 surgeries in 2023 on site. That is a 100% increase from 2022. 669 were routine spay-neuters, 206 
were uh, TNR, our trap neuter release program, if you recall, did begin in April of 2022. Um, we've done 25 so far in uh, 2024, so we're on par to make 250 TNR surgeries this year. Specialty surgeries, that's anything from amputations, eye removal, entropion, other types of eye surgeries. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about this kitten umbrella. Uh, so she came in um, by a good Samaritan, found her, the, uh, and when she came into the shelter, she was unable to open up her eyes. And this is due to a severe bacterial infection that they get prior to when they are actually able to open up their eyes as kittens. That bacteria gets in there, and what happens is the eyes become infected. And because of this, that severe infection, when she came to us, her eyelids actually fused together. And so even after that appropriate age of being able to open her eyes, she was unable to. So what we had to do is we did on both eyes, lateral canthoplasties. This is a, a specialty surgery, and thankfully we have a vet that travels down from Philadelphia, and she performed it on site for us. So you can kind of see the before and a little bit of that after picture of Umbrella. And that, um, being able to do that procedure on site actually saved the shelter um, several thousand dollars if we had to outsource that procedure. So we'll talk a little bit about adoptions. So we uh, adopted out 679 animals uh, in 2023. And one of the things I want to stress about adoptions is a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of effort and preparation to get these animals ready for that adoption floor, ready for us to really be able to announce that we have them and that they're ready for their family. So we'll, we'll go ahead and cite um, two specifics, one dog and one cat. Marley, the dog, arrived at animal services when her owner could no longer care for her. Um, Marley was very anxious in the kennel, and so she actually started to regress. She didn't really have any confidence left in her. Us getting her out of the kennel with the staff was very difficult. She really just wanted to be on her own and cower in a corner. Um, Bailey the cat. Bailey arrived to animal services, actually adjusted fine, but she was bored as can be. And so anytime the staff member would go ahead and put their hands in the cage to, you know, just go ahead and, you know, give her love or food and water, well, she thought everything was a toy. And so she was just a very spunky girl. And that's going to take some time to really find her a home because, you know, people don't know what to expect with a cat like that. So we really do spend a lot of time with enrichment and behavior protocols with animals like this. And it takes a lot of time. Marley spent 218 days with animal services before she found her new family. That's a long time. That's a long time in the shelter. We invest a lot in these animals. And as you can see, she, she is not shy or afraid of anything anymore. She lives in a home with children. She goes everywhere with them. Now, Bailey spent 129 uh, days at animal services before she found her new family. And I can tell you specifically, I get weekly updates on Bailey because those pictures are from my parents' living room. From your parents' what? My parents' living room. Oh. My parents adopted <laughs> Bailey. So, so did they I, do that voluntarily or did you uh, persuade They, they were actually looking for a cat and they wanted a cat that had been sitting with us for a while and one that was going to be a challenge to find a home for. So yeah, I get weekly updates. I saw her on New Year's mm. Eve. So, but, but again, you know, it takes a special person. It really takes our team to invest all this time and energy in these animals to get them ready for that adoption floor. So while we're talking about um, these animals and what the investment is, we really should mention that fosters are really what makes a lot of this work, especially when it comes to animals that come to us that have 
medical issues that walk in that door, and we know they're not going to be ready for the adoption floor because that medical is going to take some time for us to cure and treat. So meet Ruckus. Ruckus was brought to, um, brought to us by animal, by animal Control during a property seizure. Um, Ruckus was immediately evaluated, evaluated by our veterinary staff for his obvious skin and medical issues. Uh, he has what you're look at, looking at right there is called demodectic mange and flea bite dermatitis. So this animal had never seen a vet, had never undergone any type of treatment. Now, while the treatment's very easy, it's time consuming. That is actually, uh, that treatment takes months for us to cure. So we put the word out. We uh, asked our wonderful community who can help foster this dog because he will not be ready for adoption for quite some time. And of course, the community answered our plea. And just in time for the holidays, Ruckus was adopted on December 15th after his uh, foster family foster failed and decided to go ahead and, and keep this wonderful dog. Now, because Ruckus had never really had great interaction, you know, didn't really know about the proper rules of a dog living in a home, that's when we use and uh, rely a lot on our uh, on-staff behaviorist. So our behaviorists work with them weekly to really give them the tips and everything that they needed to keep this dog in the home happy with the family. Um, so there, there's obviously an adjustment period for that, but I do love that, that picture down there where he's got the red bow and he's sitting under the Christmas tree because he was the family gift that year, so that's great. Um, talking about our fosters and our volunteers, they are our true heroes. We could not be as successful as we are without them. So 389 animals relied on foster care in 2023. Majority of those are kittens, but it needs to be said about our dogs that go into foster a dog like Ruckus or a dog that just needs a break from the shelter. So we have a program, there are doggy day trips or uh, slumber parties. And that's when the community can just come in and take a dog out to the park, give it a break for several hours from the shelter, let them decompress. Or they could take them home for the weekend. Sometime a weekend turns into a week, sometimes it turns into an adoption, um, but it gives these dogs a chance to decompress. You can see Shirley just laying in someone's sunroom. Um, instead of being at the shelter and, and staying in those runs, you know, for I hate to say, but sometimes 18 hours a day. And so that really is also what we get to learn too, is how are these dogs behaving in the home? Because shelter behavior is not, does not mimic behavior in a home. There's no substitute. So it really gives us some insight um, as to how these animals do at home so we can better place them um, for our adoption process. Our volunteers, this is an amazing number. So our volunteers logged 2,878 hours in 2023. And that's an increase of 78% from 2022. And moving on, when we talk about what we're doing this year in 2024, this is our um, initiative for the community. We are out there in the community. I'll talk about some programs that we have going on. But um, I can imagine that we will see yet another massive increase in 2024 for our community involvement with our fosters and our volunteers. Um, we are also starting to work with um, different schools in the area. Um, they are actually going to be sending volunteers our way, too, through a humane education program this year. Um, so we have some students coming. We're still working on the details of that. But um, our volunteer numbers are going to skyrocket. So we're really excited about that. So just some of the highlights of 2023. There's no way I could list them all. Um, we did Critter Camp, and I don't even think that made our list up there. But um, in 2023, we did our first annual Pawing and Love Fun Run. We um, worked with uh, Parks and Rec 
on that. Uh, we just had our second one on February 10th, and the outcome was even better than the first, so we'll continue to do that. Uh, puppy yoga, everybody likes to get a little chuckle about this one, and you can see the picture. Um, I swear they exercised. Uh, you know, it, it, it was not all just puppy fun. But we were so lucky to be graced with a pregnant dog in January of 20, uh, 2023 who gave us 11 puppies. So what do you do when you have 11 puppies? You invite the Y. You invite the Y to come over to the shelter and do puppy yoga. That's what you do. Um, so we will, um, so far, don't have puppies yet. Um, but we will plan on kitten yoga because the instructors who did it last year are already saying, when are we doing another event? Uh, so we'll, we'll be certainly doing some more yoga events at the shelter. Um, we did our first annual uh, Foster and Volunteer Appreciation Awards luncheon. We did that at Conquest Beach. Despite the windy day, it was beautiful. It was a great turnout. And our second annual um, is planned for May 18th of this year. So we will honor our volunteers. We will honor our fosters. And they all get specific awards based on the animals that they fostered or the impact that they had with specific animals. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, we participate in National Clear the Shelter event. This is um, run by NBC and Hill Science Diet. This was our second year of participating, and we do it through the entire month of August. So the month of August of 2023, we adopted um, just shy, it was 97. We adopted 97 animals in the month of August. So out of that 679 animal, just 100 it was in, in August. So August is a very busy month for us. We will do National Clear the Shelter uh, event again as well this year. Um, the big one was um, in October. Uh, we hosted our first open house event, and that was really to highlight all of the uh, wonderful changes that we had going on at the shelter. Um, you know, replacing certain things, and we really just wanted to show off to the community, um, you know, really expose them to something other than the lobby and really get to see what animal services is. You know, we got to show off our surgery suite um, and show off um, some other great things that I'll talk about that we've updated here. Uh, Make a Difference Day, of course, we participate in that. Again, just getting our name out there in the community. Um, we partnered with Haven Ministries for our first annual holiday uh, pet drive donation. And that was really exciting. That was an idea that my staff came up with. And um, obviously throughout the holidays, everybody, you know, you, you go to the store and you get your canned goods and you donate that and everything. And we wanted to be able to do that um, for the animals in the community. So uh, we did our pet drive donation. Uh, we also did pet supplies. Um, and in fact, we thought this was just going to be like a one-week event. We ended up extending it for several weeks. And we ran out of supplies pretty much within 24, 36 hours um, of each week. So. Expect that to come back in 2024, um, bigger and better now that we'll be a little bit more prepared as to what to expect. Um, so talking about my team and talking about how amazing everybody is, um, we have to mention our um, live release rate. Uh, live release rate, if you guys aren't aware, is determined by the number of animals uh, leaving the shelter. That's via adoption, return to owner, or transfer to another no-kill shelter whether that's in the state of Maryland or Pennsylvania or Virginia, we're, at, we're, we're very local when we do transfer out. The national standard to be considered no-kill is to have a minimum uh, live release rate of 90%. And I'm happy to say our live release rate um, is 94.6%. And I just wanna go on to show and, and kind of state just how important that is in the state of Maryland. 
Um, Best Friends uh, Humane Society based out of Utah has been uh, running these statistics for years. And of all the shelters reporting to them, which is a lot in the state of Maryland, um, there's actually only 12 no-kill shelters in the state of Maryland, and we're proud to be one of them. And of all the counties in the state of Maryland, there's only three. And I'd like to think that we're leading the charge on that, especially here on the Eastern Shore. Um, so we're really excited to have that type of number for the last two years. Um, so again, talking about some of those shelter improvements, why we had an open house. Um, we got new cat condos to replace outdated ones and ones that did not match the ASV guideline standards that we are um, striving so hard every day to make sure that we're in compliance with. Um, we also actually have uh, brand new kennels on their way as well. They're being built as we speak. Uh, we remodeled our lobby. We replaced the countertops, added storage, and a brand new ba uh, backsplash. Our countertops were so dated and um, they looked like chew toys, quite honestly. The dogs were having a good time whenever they would visit the lobby and uh, chewed them up pretty good. So uh, we redid our lobby to make us look obviously a little bit more professional. This was, um, we bought a new dental machine and this was money that we were able to save by not outsourcing all of those surgeries. And a dental machine is for cleaning and extractions for all the shelter animals. Now this is important because any of the senior animals that come to our shelter chances are they're going to need a dental cleaning, they're going to need extractions. Right off the bat, um, for anybody who wants to go and adopt an animal, you're, you're looking at a substantial cost um, that is, um, you know, impacts a lot of people from adopting senior animals. So we're able to do it for pennies on the dollar um, at the shelter. Um, we, we just basically have to pay the cost of the uh, anesthesia and these animals leave here and they are getting adopted out faster because it's, it's not an expense that people have to incur as soon as they adopt a senior pet. We, uh, we installed a new camera system, obviously for security. Um, again, we had some cost savings throughout the year. Uh, so we installed surround sound in our dog kennels. And there is a reason behind surround sound in the dog kennels. They started doing sound studies way back in 2006 and determined that the decibel level, and I won't get into specifics because I don't know anything about decibels, um, but the sound level was too high for these dogs and they were stressed out. And what that does, any type of uh, overstimulation of sound can actually affect their behavior. It can affect them physically and it can affect them um, physiological. Um, so they did more studies back in 2013. And all these studies were done by Purdue, mind you. So back in 2013, they started testing these animals with music and realized that their stress level went down and it went down sub uh, substantially. Uh, in these shelters. So there was a reason based on all of those wonderful studies said that we were able to install surround sound. So our animals, um, they get an hour of quiet time every day so where nobody enters these kennels at all. Allows them to uh, decompress. And then uh, we just set nice little music. Well, what kind them. of music? So there's actually a program out there. It's called Through, Through Dog's Ears. Um, the other thing that we actually do when we're finding good, good um, Good results with this is they like audiobooks. They like that they like the tone, and there's studies on this too. They like the tone of um, the way audiobooks are read. Yep. And so we do that. So when we leave the shelter every day, um, we turn on our timer, and they get an audiobook or they get music um, for about an hour and a half. Calms them down till the, all the staff leaves. Shelter's quiet, and I can look on the cameras, and they are all sound asleep. <laughs> 
Oh, it's working out well for you. Bill's going home tonight and having everything. I know what house it is then. I was going to say, wow. Um, we have a new outbuilding uh, for storage and training. We got some agility equipment. And of course, this is the big one. Um, and this is really one of the reasons we wanted to host our open house is we put a lot of money in, into these yards. And you can see what was happening before in the yards. The fencing was not stable. We had dogs that were fence fighting because there was no secure blockage. There was no visual barrier. And it would stress them out. It was unsafe for the animals. It was unsafe for the staff. And Honestly, we were not going to bring the public back there in that type of state of those yards. So construction began in late August, went about seven or so weeks, and you can just kind of see the finished product there um, in the bottom left. And we have not had a single fence fighting incident. We have not had any incident, really. No dogs are escaping because of that custom fencing that we built. We are able to bring um, adopters back there for meet and greets with um, not just our dogs, but if they want to meet with their own dogs. And we are really utilizing these yards. That canopy um, does come down, so it's been down in the winter. If you do drive by the shelter, you're just going to see the frame of it. It'll be back up uh, the week of April 1st. And that was the other thing. Our yards didn't have the proper shelter they needed to keep these dogs outside and really give them that decompression time that they needed despite the weather. So we are certainly well more uh, prepared. Does that canopy let water through or does it pull up? It's, it's pretty good. So it's almost like the same material that like a boat canopy mm -hmm. would, would have. So it's, it's a waterproof type material. So unless we really get a drenching type rain. Mm -hmm. So what's in store for 24? So um, we're getting new phones to replace our uh, old and unreliable phones. We are actually not even on the county system for our phones. Um, so we're being integrated actually as we speak. Um, IT is working on all of that. Um, by one of the requests from some of our really great volunteers that come in and do laundry, they are requesting a folding area in the laundry. And honestly, our laundry area has a lot of wasted space. So we're going to be doing a little bit of work back there as well. We talked about that training barn that we just got. Um, but other enrichment things that we're also going to be trying to implement here. Um, we're going to be working with um, Dogs Play for Life, probably coming up here in the fall. And this is based on the idea that every dog, every day philosophy. Every dog gets out of that kennel every single day and put into a playgroup, if possible. And so again, that's why we could not move forward with this in 2023, because I did not have the yards um, that were able to do that. And so, you know, we will have them come out here. They're going to train our staff to do proper playgroups and make sure that these animals get that type of enrichment. And uh, we want tired animals to put back in the kennel instead of animals that are overstimulated. So um, we're excited for that program. We're going to be doing some updating on our dog kennels just in general. Um, some of them just really need a good facelift. So we're going to be working on that. And then this is some exciting stuff that we have happening um, right now. And one of these programs actually just launched. <coughs> Uh, we just paired up with uh, a company called Good Pup. Uh, Good Pup is given uh, the county a discount. So whenever you adopt an animal from us, they scan a QR code, they get one free virtual training session at home or whenever they would like, and then get a 20% discount if they would like to go ahead and continue that virtual training at home. This is going to decrease those returns that we talked about. Those, those people that bring those animals home and go, it's just too much, and I need another, I need another way to, to you know, get this dog to, to listen. They do anything from potty training to severe separation anxiety. 
They are um, all certified trainers, and not only with this program, you actually get 24-hour behavior and medical, 24-hour um, chat for any behavior and medical questions that they're going to be answering. This program was actually not just for any person who adopted from Queen Anne's County. This program is actually open to every resident of Queen Anne's County. All they have to do is come in, get the flyer, they scan the code, and they get the discount as well. First free training session, as well as the 20% off the good pup uh, price. They can do that type of training for five weeks. They could do it for six months. Entirely up to them. They can cancel at any time, and uh, we think that that'll be a great thing also for surrender prevention moving forward. Anybody that says, hey, listen, my dog has a behavior problem, you know, we can now not only just uh, give them the number to our behaviorist, but we have another resource in case they can't travel. They can do this stuff at home. So we're really excited about that. Again, that just launched uh, two weeks ago. And then again, we talked about that training facility that we have, that we just built. Um, so we are giving a complimentary uh, class with our behaviorist if, when you adopt a dog from us. So you're gonna come in, you get your free pup virtual training, and now you're also getting one-on-one uh, -on -one training with our behaviorist on site at our location. So we're really excited about both of those things um, happening. Um, I guess that's really all I have, unless you guys have any other questions. Excellent work. A lot of info, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, it's not often that I'm speechless. Yeah. I need you speechless. You need to come back every two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> really good. Just, just amazing. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, not much going on there, but, you know, she hit a few things. I, I just, listen, I, I, then I'll, I'll leave you guys with a comment, and, and I just want to say that, again, we talk so much about enrichment, and we talk so much about behavior and everything, and quite honestly, um, without the staff I have in place, this none of this is possible. None of this success is possible, and really, every round of applause that we Animal Services gets goes to them, and it really does. They are amazing. Very good. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thanks, so guys. Great job. Great, great, great job. Can you have pictures of dogs or cats in your picture? <laughs> you should have gone first. Quick, quick, you better run out and get some. I can't imagine there's a dog that actually has her energy levels. Not after the doggy music. Comes <laughs> down. All right, Commissioner. How would you like to, fo the you like to follow much? that presentation? <laughs> well, we got Billy next. We got, uh, yes, so next, next we have our uh, uh, beloved fire EMS Service Commission swearing-in ceremony of officers, uh, Mr. Bill Faust and Buddy Thomas. Buddy couldn't make it. All right, we have Mr. Bill Faust. So I think Mr. Zach Wilson has the. Uh, uh, got me this. Before you get it, I can I can work with that with that. <laughs> okay, because I adopted my dog Comet from there in there 2020, and I built for Parks and Rec. I built a doggy kitchen there. Congratulations. Very good. All right. All right. All right. Now you're a firefighter. You ready? That's it. All I'm right. ready. Raise your right hand. Use your name where I use mine. I, Jack Wilson. I, Bill Faust. Do solemnly promise and swear. Do solemnly promise and swear. That I will do the best of my ability. That I will do the best of my ability. Fulfill the duties of the office to which I have been elected. Fulfill the duties of the office to which I have been elected. And uphold the bylaws of the Queen Anne's County Fire and EMS Commission. Uphold the bylaws of the Queen's County Fire and EMS Commission. At the conclusion of my term of office. Conclusion of my term of office. I will turn over to my successor. I will turn over to my successor. 
All records and properties. All records and properties. Entrusted to my care. Entrusted to my care. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. There we go. Hi, boy, Billy. Hi. Yes. Billy, real quick, how many years has it been? Uh, we're working on 11. We're 10 plus. There you go. Yep. Yep. Thank you for your service. Very good. Thank you very much. You, you gentlemen don't understand how much the volunteers appreciate everything you do for us. And uh, we just try to pay it forward. That's all. So, again, thank you all for all your help and understanding on everything that we do. And uh, Ms. Margin, she's always had my back. So. We all get in trouble if she lets me know. So you didn't, you haven't told did you take a mom out to dinner? No, actually, I got to get back to my fire company meeting. I, uh, <laughs> I had to come here to get this. And there you go. We have most of it all. We normally go out at yeah. least once or twice a week. So. There you go. Very good. Is that true, Ma? Does he take you out a couple nights a week? When we go to dinner a couple nights a week? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That made it a lot easier on <laughs> She's talking about your brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, see you guys. All right. Good That's to see great. you. <laughs> All right, commissioners, uh, moving right along, we have uh, item number three under the presentations tab, number six, pages 18 through 83, we have the update presentation of the Animal Control Ordinance uh, number 2408. We have Sharon Brinster, the attorney for the Animal Control Commission, and Chairman Jennifer Nowak, who have worked very hard on this update of <laughs> Chapter 9. So they're going to give you a, pre a brief overview of the changes, and then if you're so inclined, we can introduce this ordinance for a public hearing. That's a lot of work. For readoption. So I know they've been working very hard on this for many months, and uh, we, we appreciate the, uh, the right. effort uh, put forth into this uh, rewrite of the Animal Control Ordinance. So please take it away. So I'm Sharon Brinster, uh, the Assistant Attorney. Um, this is Jen Nowak, the Chairman. Um, you have before you the uh, Red for Delete version, um, which shows how much work has been done. Um, Jen's going to talk about how that process went down, and then if you have any questions, it is a comprehensive update which has never been done to Chapter 9. It's been piecemealed for, um, I don't remember, 20 years? Yeah, <laughs> so um, it's been done in pieces. It needed a major update, upgrade, and that's what we did over where you have all the stats so you can look. Well, thank you for having me. I'm Jennifer Nowak, and I'm the new chair of the uh, Animal Control Commission as of January, handed over from Bob Mueller, which is big shoes to fill. <laughs> um, and just to give you a background of how this uh, revision came about, uh, based on the experience and the knowledge of the commission members, who have, some have been on the commission for quite a bit of time, um, it became apparent that some revisions needed to be made just to make it more appli applicable when we dealt with our cases. Um, so these are our recommendations for those modifications. Um, many of the revisions are just form, um, some definitions uh, revised, um, just making it flow better. Some are more substantive to make it flow more consistently. Um, 
And I believe that changes, as Sharon said, have been made over the years, but they've been piecemealed together. This ordinance revision request is a line by line, start to finish, holistic review of the document so that the entire document flows together, the um, sections uh, make sense together. We modified some things, put them, grouped some things differently so that overall it flows much better we think, um, and it was not an easy task. Uh, there was 15 meetings over the course of nine months with all the commission members. Um, there was a total of 27 hours each person, so hundreds of hours that the commission has spent in their time and dedication, uh, not to mention the county attorney, uh, Patrick Thompson, and the assistant county attorney, Sharon Brinster, were both involved in every one of those meetings. And there were two other attorneys on the uh, commission, myself and Bob Mueller, which is probably why it took so long, <laughs> all these attorneys. Too many chiefs, not enough yeah. um, There were 36 suggested changes, um, including input from the animal control officers, animal control, the Department of Emergency Services, and animal services. And there were three full reviews of this entire document. And I would also like to note and thank the voting and non-voting members of the commission, the Animal Control Commission, who selflessly and voluntarily dedicated their time and efforts towards these revisions, um, and the attorneys and animal control and animal services also. And so with that, and in light of all that, we present to you this uh, proposed revisions of the ordinance. And uh, if you have any questions, um, we're here to answer them. Where does it go from here? I mean, who? I'm going to introduce it and then it will go to a hearing. Okay. Oh, yeah, so the Animal Control Commission has the um, one of their purposes is to recommend legislation to you. So then you introduce it. I have the number. Marjorie gave it to me. So. Yeah. I'm going to introduce Ordinance 2408. And then I'm going to ask a specific question. Uh, somebody sitting at home has read this. So. Um, they're asking about animal at large on large properties. The A S nine seventeen A point two point small A um, that it says in pursuit is does that count like at White Marsh Park? Specifically, they're asking about White Marsh Park, which is four hundred acres. If they have an animal out there in the morning, they're running and they're with the animal within what like what's the distance, or is that even legal at that point? Is the question I'm being asked. Well, the ordinance I, I believe says that they have to have control of the animal first and foremost. So if the animal is under their control, usually on a leash is what I think the ordinance says, <clears throat> but if um, their animal gets away from them mm -hmm. and they are chasing it, if they're in pursuit, then that I think would fall under the, the revisions. So that would restrict anybody beachside putting letting their animals go in the water and things like that? So it depends on, I'm not familiar with White Marsh Park particularly, sure. um, but if it was like a, it, it, it depends how the property is designated. If the county says it's a public area and that dogs can roam freely upon it, such as a dog park, okay. that's fine. If it's just county property, they, the dogs can't run free. They're supposed to be under the control. Under control does not always mean leashed. Okay. They can be trained to be at heel and follow the commands of the owner. Does that make sense? I can 
I, I didn't ask the question. You didn't so ask you, the question, but, you, but so you've it makes sense it, so. to you. <laughs> I, they're at home watching, yeah. so they're, I'm not, they're getting the I'm answer. not familiar with White Marsh Park. And, or, it's right up here. I know yeah. where it okay. is, but yeah. I'm not familiar with the uh, animals running there or what goes on there. We haven't had any complaints from there, so there that's go. the good news. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Well, anybody else? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That Thank was you. a monumental task. Wow. And Margie, do you have a scheduled date for that? Hearing? Yeah, Not yet? We'll let you know when okay. the hearing is so you okay. can be here for any public testimony that Perfect. we may receive. It. Thank you very Thank much you. for all your work. On Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. You. All right, commissioners. And our final presentation this evening is um, we have Mr. Ken Kozell, Mr. Gary Mangum, and uh, Ms. Kathy Diotis is here. We're going to get an update on the proposed new University of Maryland Medical Systems Regional Hospital in the town of Easton. So we have a presentation. They're going to tee it up here on the screen. And it also is in your book, uh, item two. Oh, excuse me, item, item four on pages 84 through 97. We have six. Thanks Good. for letting us come up and visit. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. How are you doing? How are you? Great to see you again. Thank you for allowing us a few minutes of your meeting time to uh, share with you an update on the transformation that's been occurring at Shore Regional Health for well over uh, the last uh, 14 years. I've got a small slide presentation. And um, with this presentation, let's see if I can get. Bruce, you're on. again for our, your time this evening so we've got a brief presentation to share with you this evening and before we start on today's agenda though I think a thank you was in order um, because of the last 14 years that we've been working collaboratively together with you. And I say 14 because that's about my tenure here. But uh, um, what you'll learn today is um, rural health care is failing across the country. And I think what we've established here back in 2010, 2011 with the emergency center in Queen Anne's County was a perfect example of how foresight and innovation really can solve some of the challenges that healthcare presents, but more importantly, that rural healthcare presents. And what I intend to share with you today is just that additional update, that, that progress that we've made over the last decade plus, um, that will take us to uh, our latest vision, which is the Regional Medical Center. And then I'll provide you an update with uh, where we are on that major project. So uh, just got a few slides to work with you today, but I thought I'd share with you a video first. This video was only 30 seconds long, but it really tries to encapsulate the challenges that rural healthcare is facing across the country. In this 30-second video, you'll learn about hospitals closing, hospitals reducing services, hospitals changing their makeup of how they're, how they're um, structured and function, and how much of a dire condition this is. So if you'd play the video, please. It's only about 30 seconds.
So in the last 10 years alone, nearly 200 ho rural hospitals have closed across the country. 400 more are at risk for closing, mainly because of financial pressures and constraints. Um, but again, what we've been able to do on the midshore of Maryland, I think, has been innovative, creative, and it's really helped us not only survive a lot of the challenges that rural healthcare has been facing, but it's really allowed us to thrive. And uh, again, I'll show you a little bit about uh, how we've done that with your assistance and with your partnership. So this is the map of Maryland. Uh, the counties in green showcase where the University of Maryland medical system has a presence. And uh, just to give you a, a round number, the University of Maryland represents about 25% of all of the healthcare services that's offered in the state of Maryland. And that's from doctor's offices to lab tests to x-rays to hospital-based care. Everything in between, 25% of the healthcare is provided by the University of Maryland medical system. And on this chart, you can see the, the red box, which is Shore Regional Health. That is our primary service area. We cover the five counties of the Midshore. And just to give you a sense of geography, that's about 2,000 square miles of real estate that we cover. And comparable to the state of Delaware, which is about 2,000 square miles. So that is our primary service area here on the shore. And we cover from Kent down to Dorchester County. Uh, we're considered rural because even within those 2,000 square miles, our five-county population is only about 172,000 residents on the midshore. And you can see the population breakdown by county. That was as of the 2020 census, I believe. So what have we been doing? Uh, this is a quick slide that shows the five counties of the midshore, and it really intends to focus on those high-level transformative uh, programs and services that we've brought to each of the counties over the last uh, 12 years or so. And if you can pick your favorite county, you can see what we've been able to accomplish in each of the counties. Um, but it really showcases um, an innovative and integrative approach to how we provide care. And again, I mentioned Queen Anne's County and the medical office building and the emergency center that was established uh, back in uh, 2010. Uh, you know, it, it took community support for that. It took our elected officials support for that. It took um, uh, senator, state senators and E.J. Pipkin to really create the vision of the emergency center and the corresponding medical office building that, that has primary care, specialists, and diagnostic testing all in that one facility, in that one building. Um, and that really served as the framework for how we've evolved over the years. Um, when you look at Kent County, uh, which, which covers part of northern Queen Anne's County, you know, the hospital there was, was uh, failing. It, it had only 30 uh, or uh, so inpatients per day there and uh, a full-service intensive care unit, a full-service 24-7, 365 operating room, but not sustainable. That's why a lot of the rural healthcare hospitals across the country are failing because of the services that they offer. But rather than close, we've been able to transform that facility in, in Chestertown and Kent County and, and create Maryland's first Maryland Rural Hospital. That's comparable to critical access hospitals across the country where you've got about 25 beds in that facility, but it's mild to moderately complex patients that are seen in that hospital, that are admitted to that <clears throat> facility. If you need a higher level of care, you go to the regional medical center for that care but it's needed in our community because it's a good hour distance from Chestertown to Easton. Uh, so we can't centralize all of healthcare. What we've done is create the ideal solution for Chestertown and for Kent County. Dorchester County is another key <coughs> example where we closed the hospital on the Choptank River, right off of Route 50, the Dorchester General Hospital. 
But rather than leave that desert, that healthcare desert there, we've created a freestanding medical facility, very similar to what we've adopted here in Queen Anne's County, with a full service emergency center, a medical office building with primary care specialists and diagnostic testing, and um, a facility that meets the local needs, but if you need inpatient care, the regional medical center becomes the answer for that. So in each individual county, we've created some solutions, and I'll just highlight one more thing in Queen Anne's County, and that is the urgent care center that we've created here on Kent Island. The three urgent care centers on the shore are the busiest urgent care centers in all of the University of Maryland medical system. Um, they have proven to be a solution for after hours coverage when primary care offices are closed and when you really don't need that emergency level of care. So it's those kinds of innovative solutions, county by county, region by region, but looking at it from an integrated perspective, all shore regional health, all owned and operated uh, through the University of Maryland medical system that's helping us create these solutions for us. What we're looking at there are the spokes, basically, right? Yeah, the spokes to the hub. And this is, a, this is another good slide that shows the importance of partnerships. We, we recognize very early on we can't create all of these solutions ourselves. We can't sustain these solutions that we've built ourselves. It takes partnerships like Chesapeake College. For a workforce that is struggling, Chesapeake College has been a beacon with providing a strong workforce in nursing and allied health professionals, clinical programs. Uh, we're, we're just looking at starting a medical technology program at the college that will help uh, provide workforce for the, for, the, uh, for the hospital system. But behavioral health partners, uh, aging and wellness centers, bringing these partnerships, our, our relationship with CHOPTANK, a federally qualified healthcare center, uh, is critically important for providing those additional and supportive resources uh, to our area. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Dr. Siatola and the Mobile Integrated Community Health Program here. Huge benefit with EMS partners providing care in the home for frequent, for patients who frequent our emergency center, um, doing those appropriate wellness checks, making sure the home is a safe environment, preventing those ER visits. It has served for the model of the state. And I have a number of other counties just within the five county region that want to adopt that program that we started here in Queen Anne's County and their communities as well. So again, it's creative, innovative healthcare solutions um, that, that serve the entire need of the region. And we're not stopping there. This is just a, a quick slide about how we continue to invest in our communities. Uh, primary care is, is a critical need for the midshore. It's a critical need across the country. But to have a good, strong foundational health care system in your community, you need primary care. So we intend to invest in primary care in Queen Anne's County, additional primary care providers in Talbot and Caroline counties, as well as Chester, uh, Kent County and Dorchester County. Geriatrics is also a need. Uh, geriatricians who see the elderly uh, in a primary care way uh, is critically important as well, since more than 20% of our population on the midshore is greater than 65 years old. So making sure we have the appropriate providers to support the healthcare needs of our aging community is essential. You know, we are the regional center that delivers babies in our region. We deliver about 1,000 babies at the shore uh, each year. And in order to enhance that experience for mother and baby, we've made significant investments in having an OB hospitalist, that's an obstetric hospitalist, on site in the hospital in Easton 24-7, 365 and an anesthesiologist. So when that mother is ready to deliver, uh, the OB hospitalist is there, the anesthesiologist is there, and that delivery takes place in a more timely manner. As well as having a pediatric hospitalist, this is a, 
a, a doctor who specializes in pediatricians and pediatric patients um, on site as well, 24-7, to support the delivery of that child. The OBGYN MFM, that stands for Maternal Fetal Medicine Provider, that's a specialist that focuses on high-risk pregnancies. Um, so we, having that uh, specialist on site supports the deliveries as well. GYN oncologists, neurosciences movements, and vascular services are just other areas that we're investing in because these are needed in strong community healthcare systems. Uh, and, it, and the investment, I think, is, is uh, paramount to what our community needs to provide safe, high-quality care in our region. So continuing to make investments beyond the facility uh, renovations and, and uh, buildings that we've put together. So that's the history over the last dozen plus years or so um, that, that has all helped us lead us to the regional medical center concept. And um, I'll, I'll share some slides with you. This, the first slide is an orientation slide. It kind of re reminds us all on where the new facility will be built. To the far right of this slide, you see the community center and uh, Route 50 running from top to bottom on that slide. If you're coming from the Bay Bridge to the Easton Airport, you'd pass the community center on your right and just as you pass on your right and take that entrance into the community center, that will be the entrance to the new hospital. Instead of making a right into the center, you're gonna make a left into the property that we own. And you can see it's about 236 acres of property where we'll have a loop road that will encircle the hospital, which is currently right in the center of that red circle. You see a green line that's running right through the center of the circle, that is Route 662. We're gonna to have to relocate that route um, in order to build a hospital. So there's some enabling steps that we need to do, but that's pretty much the size of the campus. The, the lighter shading is where we can put additional structures on place for future growth and expansion uh, or relocation of services from town to this campus. I think when I'm long gone, this will serve as, as the central hub for most, if not all of the services in, in Talbot County and the, and the Midshore region that we offer today obstetrics, neurosurgery, orthopedics, those types of procedures um, offered in the center of this campus. This is a, a quick uh, a drawing of what the facility will look like in a block diagram. You can see six floors at its highest point uh, and with five floors to the left of the center ele elevator shaft. Um, each floor is identified. You can see behavioral health. We'll have a, a dozen behavioral health beds, acute rehab, uh, an ICU, full service, 24-7 ICU. Again, another obstetrical unit with a pediatric bed. Um, and then as we continue to go down that slide, interventional cardiology, we'll have seven operating rooms, um, and then uh, two cath labs and one electrophysiology lab. And then on the main floor, the first floor on the right is our emergency department services, where we'll have our treatment rooms, as well as the observation rooms that will be located uh, on that first floor adjacent to the EG, ED, and then some of the supporting services there. On the far left of the elevator shaft, you see uh, that's where most of our medical surgical patient beds will be located on those three units, and we'll have support and dining uh, right below those two areas. And then uh, the far left of this slide, you can see, will be a two-story medical office building. It will be roughly uh, 60,000 square feet and it will include administrative offices, some laboratory services, and a lot of outpatient facilities on the first floor. So that's the block diagram. The next slide tries to give you a side-by-side -side comparison of what we're licensed for today in Easton, and that's the, the first column licensed, uh, current licensed beds, which total 118. The state assigns the number of licensed beds we have, so that's 118 today. 
the additional beds you can see by location all rolls up to an additional 29 beds in the new facility. And uh, so when you come over to the total new project, you see us going from 147 to, I'm sorry, from 118 to 147 total beds. Um, that additional beds is really restricted by the state of Maryland. If we wanted to, and we wanted to build 300 beds on that campus, we would not be able to. We need the state's approval for the size facility that we're building. And in this case, at the, for the Easton Hospital, we really pushed this, the envelope because the state uses a lot of calculations. They use information and data to support what they perceive the need to be from a bed size and a bed capacity perspective. We pushed the envelope by saying there is no additional hospital our size in any geographic proximity to where we are. So that was we, part of the certificate and E process? Exactly. That was the push with the CON. Uh, they heard us to use peak times instead of averages, which really reflect the demand. And as a result, they approved unanimously our additional 29 beds as part of this facility. So um, important, but just wanted to make clear that that is a state regulated decision. But even with that decision, we were able to push the envelope and add an additional 29 beds. Some advancements that we've made since, uh, um, hopefully you're all aware that uh, the, the state Maryland Healthcare Commission approved our CON application in January of this year which is one of two state agencies that have to authorize the building of this facility. We submitted our application back in January 6th of 2023. So it took a full year for the state to review and approve, but we received unanimous approval for our application on January 18th of this year. Um, in addition, below the uh, CON timeline, you can see some of the sources of funds. The total project cost will be just under $540 million. And you can see the breakdown of how we're gonna pay for the project, some coming out in cash, uh, $50 million in local philanthropy. Uh, the, the University of Maryland medical system will authorize bonds and uh, bond proceeds for $333 million. Um, there'll be some interest that will generate that is earned interest for the, for the cost of the project. And then uh, the state grant and, and appropriations of 100 million. Um, that is the, the other news that we have to share with you is that um, through Governor Wes Moore, his, cab, his, um, his, his cabinet, as well as uh, all the state officials um, voted as part of his CIP or put in his CIP $100 million for the Eastern Regional Medical Center project. Uh, that was no small feat that took not only our, our state uh, senators, Senator Hershey has been a champion for this project in Annapolis, as has Senator Mouts. The Eastern Shore delegation, present company included, supported this as the number one project on the full Eastern Shore to Annapolis. That carried significant weight for the governor's decision to approve this project. Uh, we could not build this, pro this, this hospital without the governor's appropriation of 100 million. Um, so it's critically important. This next slide just shares with you kind of the, the four major things that need to happen in order for this project to move forward. And again, the first was this uh, Governor Moore's appropriation of 100 million in his CIP. The last step in that process is for the legislature to vote on his budget. The timeline for that is April 1st, so just right around the corner. Uh, we are hopeful that the legislature will approve his budget, which will include that 100 million allocation uh, that actually began in fiscal 24, this fiscal year of 10 million that the legislature approved rolls up to three more fiscal years of $20 million each year for 25, 26, and 27. And then the final year is a $30 million allocation in fiscal 28 that totals 100 million. 
So the legislature will vote on the CIP on April 1st, um, but we are in the governor's uh, plan. The second, as I mentioned, is the CON approval, and, and that was accomplished on January 18th. That is the farthest we've ever been with this project, is to get MHCC approval on our application. We have never been this far, and to get unanimous approval for the exact facility that we requested is quite the feat. The third element of our plan is to uh, seek rate relief from the State Health Services Cost Review Commission. That is the commission that regulates hospital rates in the state of Maryland. In order to build the new hospital, we're gonna carry a debt for this, and in order to pay for some of that debt, uh, hospitals ask the state for rate increases to support that, incre that uh, increased debt. So we are in the process of negotiating with the HSCRC now on what that rate increase will look like. Um, we are hopeful to reach a decision with staff over the next 30 days or so, at which point the staff will make a recommendation to the commission. Um, the, we are anticipating that commission meeting conversation to take place in April of this year. That's really where we need some additional support is to uh, get the HSCRC to uh, approve our rate increase um, uh, as part of this project. And then the fourth element is a commitment to raise $50 million locally for this project. So uh, that is in process. We've started kind of the um, silent phase of a capital campaign, if you will and are starting to talk to donors about uh, donating to our facility. Here's a quick timeline, short and sweet, but as you can see back in 2022 uh, in September, this is far left to right. We uh, received UMS and Shore Board approval to proceed with the project with those conditions that I just had on the previous slide that had to be fulfilled. Um, in we submitted the CON in January of 23 and re received approval in January 24. You can see on the top of 2024 in red uh, where the spring of 2024 is where we're hopeful we'll get the rate application decision from the HSCRC. And if that takes place as we expect, then by summer of 2024, likely in the month of June, we would uh, seek approval with the UMS board uh, to proceed with this project. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I'll just, a finer point, Mr. Gary Magnum is on the UMS board um, and has served on that board and has served uh, the shore incredibly well with his commitment, his passion, and his dedication to this project and to everything we've been doing on the shore. So UMS has also Dr. Ciatola, who isn't here tonight, but he is also uh, a, a, a mid-shore community member who is on the University of Maryland board, as is Mr. Keith McMahon, representing Caroline County. Caroline County on the shore board, but also on the University of Maryland Medical System board. All three UMS board members from the shore have been staunch advocates of this project and are leading the charge with the UMS board, as is Kathy Diotis, who was our board chair for the University of Maryland Shore Regional Health. Kathy has been serving in that role as chair, and uh, I love Kathy's favorite term, failure is not an option. We are not <laughs> going to fail. We are going to succeed with this project, and with Kathy as a lead, I have no doubt that our shore board will support this moving forward. So we're looking at the June timeframe as the possible date for bringing this back in front of the UMS board for final approval. Uh, if and when that takes place, then we can start the enabling steps on the property in the summer of this year. Starting to move some dirt, starting to enable and get the, pro uh, get the property ready for what will be a spring of next year to put a shovel in the ground. With the shovel in the ground in the spring, it will likely take 30 to 36 months to build. So give or take, by spring of 2028, the project will, com will be complete. We'll need a few months to get it ready for patients uh, access. 
what we're anticipating at this point, if things go to plan by summer of 2028, the building will be open and ready for use. And these are just some pictures of the facility. This is an aerial view of the front entrance. Uh, you can see the six stories on the far right, the five stories just to the, to, just in, to the back, and then the two-story medical office building adjacent to um, the hospital proper. Bringing the plane down, if you're parking in the front entrance, this will be your visual as you enter uh, into the main entrance of the facility. <clears throat> Back entrance, will EMS uh, and ambulance bays will, will bring our, our patients in uh, to our emergency department. Again, um, a beautiful emergency department in this building also uh, comparable number of ED bays, but also observation beds will be adjacent to the emergency department. So that will help with any overflow. We can use those beds for multiple purposes right off the ER. So in days like today, when we're experiencing a vo heavy volume of patients in the ER, we can use that space to, to help support patient throughput and care. The glass on the front view reminds me a little bit of Godowski. The Godowski oh. building? Yes, yes. This is an artist rendering of the front lobby. So as you come in the front lobby, a uh, little different than what we've got today. I don't know if you've been there, but I'm five. <laughs> a little bit. I'm five eight, and I almost hit my head on the ceiling. And uh, this one, we have a little bit more room. But this is really designed to showcase um, the facility, but also to comp to complement the care that's being provided in the units upstairs. And this is just an example of the floor. Where, you'll, where we have uh, patients uh, that will be seen on our med surge unit. This is one example. Uh, modern technology, state-of-the-art technology, all private rooms. Today we've got over a dozen semi-private rooms where two people share with the curtain separating in that space, not conducive to the quality of care that we need on the midshore. So this will be all private rooms. Um, and uh, again, uh, just state-of-the-art technology that will support patient care. This is a quick picture of one of the patient rooms. Plenty of space to move equipment in and out. Plenty of space for more than one visitor. Again, today, even in the private rooms, we can't get all the equipment we need and still have one visitor in that room. Sometimes we have to move things around to get uh, uh, to provide the care we need to provide. But this will allow us that space. And this will also allow for, for family members, uh, at least one family member, to spend the night. And at times, that can be a comforting healing strategy for a patient to have somebody close by in the room with them. So important aspect of the new uh, room. Uh, just a quick summary slide. Um, I share with you at the very beginning that rural healthcare is failing across the country. Uh, that is not an option for us in the, in the state of Maryland. That's not an option on the Eastern shore. We have been working hard over the last 14 years, starting with your support as the original uh, vision for the midshore by, by creating innovative solutions that are not only working at the time, but are sustainable and financially viable for, for the future. So huge um, uh, innovation and benefit to what we're doing here on the Midshore. We've spent the last 14 years con uh, creating this regional center that is all then predicated on the regional hospital in, in, uh, for the Midshore. And it really has taken uh, an enormous amount of people and time and energy to get us from where we are to where we are today. Uh, again, I can't thank you enough for your support for everything. You know, we have such a great relationship. I believe that uh, we have shared interest, common vision for our community, and uh, that's materialized into outstanding care for our community. And uh, I just believe that as we as we complete this innovative vision, that it could serve as the model for healthcare across the country. 
um, and maybe convert some of those who are failing back to the community anchors that are needed in these rural communities. So with that, again, uh, one final thank you for your unwavering support and just for your partnership. So sitting here and, and watching this presentation uh, takes me back to meetings that I attended with commissioners Steve Ernst when we first served in 2011 to 2014, meeting with folks from UMS uh, in Annapolis and trying to figure out how we were gonna push this certificate of need they're back in 2011 and 2012 and to sit here and watch this presentation and it's amazing that we finally got here. Absolutely amazing. There's a lot of us that feel that way. If it's okay, I'd like to add one thing to, to what Ken talked about and that's <clears throat> the experience that I've had on this particular board has been um, unlike any other. And when originally uh, asked about serving on the board, uh, I had no concept as to what I could add, given given what I read and what I learned about what what, what the system does. Um, Dr. Ciotolo has mentioned a couple times here tonight, and and I have to say that my first meeting that I attended, you know, I had planned on just keeping my mouth shut for a year, um, but Dr. Ciotolo gave uh, uh, just added so much to that group and um, was obviously very well respected. I latched on to him very quickly after the meeting and arranged to spend some time with him. Um, before he would go into work, we, we, we would meet for coffee. Uh, end of his day, we would meet for coffee, and he really helped me understand um, how, the, how, sh sure, how, how the operation works over here and, uh, and the larger operation, the larger umbrella. Uh, I'm a slow learner, and I needed to see to really start to understand. So. Um, he introduced me to Ken. In fact, Ken came in a couple of meetings later and, and presented um, the plan for this regional medical center. And um, through Dr. C's help, through being able to meet Ken and then get out and tour not just the Easton Hospital, but the rest of the facilities that the Shore manages and, and runs on a day-in and day-out basis, um, Senator Hershey came on the second second day of the tour, and we got out into most of the properties. And, and from that, um, and, and Scott Haas, I see him in the room, and he was able to get me out on ambulance service to be able to see how the emergency departments actually operate, not just here, but across the bridge as well, because of the way that the ambulances flow. And uh, it was really quite incredible, and, and it's just created this passion among uh, across the people that are working on this project and the sense of urgency the reason that we're here tonight specifically is the remaining pieces of the puzzle require action and that action is the community philanthropy and when he says community i, I automatically think of right where we are but obviously it's the five county area um, i'd like to think our community could support that philanthropy number and maybe 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 it can someday but right now we're asking about you know a very different number, but, but a real sense of urgency to try and move things forward. The one thing I want to add, and, and most people, I guess, besides the hospital itself, I don't think anybody's really looking at something that's even larger for the midshore, and that's the fact that you're about to invest $500 million, and that's a lot of jobs, that's a lot of small businesses that are going to thrive through what might be some tough years coming ahead. Um, 
And so I don't want that to go unnoticed and, and how much that's going to help the midshore through the next three, four years. I mean, I, I worked on AMC when they built the original North Tower over there and saw how many people were employed just for that smaller, I call small North Tower now, looking at the complex. And you're looking at a pretty similar complex here. And I know at any given time we had four to 500 people working on the project. So that's a lot of people that's going to affect the midshore, especially our contractors and all. So I'm glad to see that. And if anybody else, I'll make a motion if you want to, or you got anything to say? Let's do it. Well, and I, I assume from our, our previous meeting, you are assigned the task of raising $50 million. Is that a fair assumption? A fair yes. assumption, yes. Okay, well, I mean, we all, all these commissioners sitting here, we all know how important this, this <laughs> hospital is to Queen Anne's County and to the region. And, uh, you know, we're ready to do our part. So I'm going to make a motion that we move to designate $5 million from the fund established from the Four Seasons Developers Rights and Responsibilities Agreement to be allocated toward the University of Maryland Medical Systems Regional Medical Center in Talbot County to be dispersed in four equal annual installments between FY25 and FY28. Second. So we have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. So hopefully that helps you get off of first base and, and 10 run 10% it. of it. Yeah. <laughs> Can I give you a round of applause? Like I said, you know, the way we look at it, we're one of the larger counties, population-wise, and this comes out to about $100 a head. And, and you know, once again, uh, we were, uh, if you can call it a blessing, to have the developers' rights and responsibilities. This does not come out of, of tax money, taxable income to any of our citizens. So, you know, this is a, a win. We had a similar thing when we did the... Uh, solar arrays with preserving farmland you know we were able to spend this funding without <clears throat> pulling it from anywhere else in the county that is needed so you know it, it is timing is everything so I, I just want to this is not the first time I have been before you thanking you for understanding and recognizing and supporting improving access to to world-class health care for your citizens so here I am again this started with hospice services yep. grief services and now we're, this is the whole enchilada here. We yeah. are so grateful for your recognition of the need for it and your support for it. But just, you we'll get it. a set of commissioners, those that sat before you, just incredible. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you May I? Thank, thank you. Full steam ahead. Let's go. Oh, wait, Patrick? Mr. Cozell, can I uh, just kind of plant a seed here? And I know you're going to, when I'm done, you're going to say, man, that's a year or two or three down the road. But... I was hoping that Billy was going to stay here. Our first responders, a, 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 a significant amount of their calls are auto accidents, MVCs. And a lot of them go to the hospital. And during the summer, as you know, the bridge is backed up. And if they're severe, they are flown out to shock trauma, which is phenomenal. But the point I'm trying to get at, at is as you're developing this and you've got your 25 units in the emergency room, consider a operating room in the emergency room specifically for trauma cases. So when there's carnage on the road and they can't get over the bridge, Scott can't get over the bridge, 
They can go to uh, Easton and have a, and if you have a trauma surgeon, because I, I, as I was looking at your great presentation, I noticed that there wasn't a trauma surgeon. Um, something to think about. I, I don't know if I'm connecting here, but in a life or death situation, a trauma surgeon can help someone who's been in a really bad auto wreck and save their life when they can't get to shock trauma. And we could do that in Easton. And they don't have to specifically be a trauma surgeon. They could be a, a, a general surgeon slash trauma. They could be an orthopedic slash trauma. But it's just something to think about, about having a mini shock trauma in the emergency room for cases like that. So much. Thank, Thank you. you again. We appreciate Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Hanging out. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Kathy. All right, commissioners, we, that concludes our presentations for this evening. We do have uh, five action items under new business. So if you'd like to turn to tab number three, we can run through those. So the first item under tab three, uh, pages one through six, uh, this is a, a proposal to provide a county match to participating employees that are engaged in our 457 plan, which is a supplemental um, a deferred compensation plan to supplement Social Security and Maryland State Retirement. Um, we are proposing a match for our participating members uh, and a flat, you know, $10 per pay uh, amount at, at, at the start. And uh, this is really a mechanism for us to try to connect, um, you know, the five-year, the, the, the new employees to, to provide them an incentive to to stay with the program, stay with the county, stay employed at the recruitment and retention policy. And uh, so we, we feel this is a great program for us to consider. I move that forward. the 457B Governance Committee, under the direction of the Director of Human Resources, engage the services of Bolton to develop and implement a 401A plan to present to the commissioners for final approval with an anticipated start date of January 2025. Second. We have a motion. We have a second. Any discussion? Any comments? All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you very much, commissioners. <laughs> Item two on pages seven through 14. This is uh, for the historic Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District. This is a proposal for a road mural in downtown Stevensville. Uh, we applied cool. for a, um, a grant and we were awarded that grant of $50,000 to support traffic calming in downtown Stevensville. And we partnered with Historic Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District and various county uh, departments. Uh, our roads division, Shane Moore is here and Heather Tonelli is here as well. And this traffic calming plan uh, would produce a mural on, um, on a street. What, what's, um, I guess that's Love Point Road. Love Point yeah, Road, right? right there in front of the, uh, I, I still call it no place, but that's the section of the roadway that we're talking about there for this particular road mural. And there's some pictures in the, uh, in your books there just to show you what that would look like. Yep. Uh, um, I move to approve the proposed road mural on Love Point Road in the historic Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District as outlined and described in the proposal for Comcell Brown Jr. funded by the grant funds from the Maryland DHCD Community Safety Works Grant. Second. We have a motion, we have a second. Uh, comments? Um, wow. I think it's a great idea. This uh, is cool. The more we can do to sort of you know, 
spruce up downtown Stevensville, drive more people to go into downtown Stevensville, helps us local businesses. Um, and I'd like to see more activity going on in downtown Stevensville. It's something I want to make sure that we're focused on even more in addition to this and getting you know, that we, area going. We often get um, complaints from the local business owners, and not complaints. It's really just more bringing awareness to, you know, the, the folks that are traveling uh, through town at a speed higher than what is posted. And, and there's a lot of foot traffic, you know, during the summertime through there. And, and I think what a great idea to, when you think of calming devices, you think of speed bumps, you know. But to me, this is brilliant. And, and if we could, you know, get a picture of, you know, a painting or a mural of this, this, that would certainly they might slow speed people up. down. <laughs> or right? speed up to get out of there quicker. <laughs> Let's keep it clean now. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we don't want the audience leaving. So, <laughs> so, um, but can you imagine, you know, a, a, approaching a, the stop sign and, and literally driving over the top of a mural and slowing down to take the time to look at the mural and then realizing the last thing you see is big, huge white letters that say stop. What a great idea. Um, I think I'd like to think we're leading the charge. We'll take credit for it. So uh, we have a motion. We have a second. Any other further discussion? All right. Uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you. I yield the all chair. Right, that's it. Back to our president. That'll jazz things up in Stevensville for sure. That'll oh, be yeah. nice. <laughs> All right, commissioners, moving right along. Uh, item number three on pages 15 through 24. Uh, these are the three citizen-sponsored text amendments that we received this year in February. Um, they're just here for uh, transmission back to the Planning Commission. So we have uh, permitted uses in open spaces, neighborhood conservation district dimensional and bulk standard requirements, and neighborhood conservation district residential density intensity requirements. These were all submitted by the uh, Bay Area uh, Realtors Association. I move to convey counting ordinances 24-05, 06, and 07 to the Planning Commission for investigation and recommendation. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Somebody knows when we get uh, citizen-sponsored text amendments, we automatically send them over to the Planning Commission for the investigation um, and their recommendation. So, so it's, a, it's a time um, once a year where citizens can uh, use... Uh, take the opportunity to have some changes made um, to either zonings or, or usages and things of that nature. And this is just an example of the citizens getting involved in, in, uh, in their community. Any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? So moved. All right, thank you, commissioners. Uh, our last two items we can take together. This is uh, House Bill 899 and Senate Bill 691. This is uh, for firefighters in EMS recruitment and retention, uh, scholarship and loan repayment assistance support letter, uh, the House and Senate versions of these bills. This is a MAKO initiative as well. So these are the two support letters we had this evening. Move to execute the letter of support for HB 899, higher education, firefighters and EMS recruitment and retention, Scholarship and loan repayment assistance. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion on this item? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. I move to execute the letter of support for SB 691, higher education, firefighters and EMS recruitment and retention, scholarship and loan repayment assistance. Second. 
You have a motion to second on this item. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right, thank you, commissioners. That, are, that is all of the action items this evening. We can do press and public comment, or we can do roundtable. No one virtual. We'll All go right. right to the round, round table. table it is. Be out there? No, they have nothing. No, nope, I we're... think we've. Uh, yeah. Home alone. Marjorie, you got anything? I don't. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> uh, Jack, you want to go first? Sure. There you go. So, um, highlighting the bills we just voted on, the two firefighter bills. I think they're going to be great for recruitment and retention. Um, shout out to Mako and, and everybody involved with Mako. This was one of their initiatives this year, and it looks like this is going to go through with flying colors, which is awesome. Um, but I want to discuss another Mako initiative, which I think is even more important than this one, that uh, will, will uh, set the tone for the next, uh, let's see, eight years of school funding in the state of Maryland um, at the county level. And that is that they, their initiative this year is to um, have the local board of eds um, basically budget like our departments do um, so that if they come they come with a baseline budget and then the over and above the the asks that we have right now the one we're dealing with for nine million dollars based on the latest board of ed meeting um, that will have to be an enhancement just like we ask our departments to say okay why do you want x over what is actually required to run the department from the previous year. Um, and surprisingly, you, you would think this would be a very tough push in Annapolis, but there seems to be a tide this year to, and it's because all 24 jurisdictions are on board with this, um, because it, I think, thankfully, people are waking up and realizing transparency at, in any budgeting, I don't care if it's EMS, education, whatever, should all be something that the public can look at, understand, and know where the money's being spent. And, and we, as the uh, the people that are the stewards of the taxpayer dollars as the commissioners, I think it's even better for us because it gives us the way to, to answer people when they ask specific questions. I, I hate getting asked about the Board of Ed budget because, quite frankly, I don't have those answers, and I, and I can't get those answers from looking at the Board of Ed budget because it's very narrow. It doesn't go down, for lack of a better term, into the weeds so you can actually see where all the, the dollars and cents are going. So I think this is a great tool that future commissions will be able to utilize going forward. And, you know, it's probably long overdue. That, that, that why wouldn't the largest portion of our budget have to budget the way the rest of our budget does? So I'm hoping that this gets through. I think it'll definitely be something. We won't be able to utilize it this year because it actually probably wouldn't get signed in until July 1st. So it would be for next year's budget cycle. Um, because I, I know, Jim, you and Phil have met with the board, and I've watched the board meeting to see you know, and I remember last year, you know, the, the talk was that this next like three years, we were going to have to fund the board at $5 million, which we all kind of bit the bullet on and said, you know what, if that keeps us on the pace with Kerwin, I'm good with that. You know, I, we can live with that. We can make that work. But <clears throat> when you come back and you double the ask the next year, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I just have a problem with, you know, doing the best we can in the county to keep the taxes down, having the lowest, some of the lowest property tax in the state for all intents and purposes, and being able to provide the services we are. We're building a new Board of Ed building. Um, we're not bonding any money right now to do that kind of stuff. It's just very discouraging as a commissioner to sit up here and have them come back and ask for basically what is, amounts to another 10 percent over top of what they, they basically told us they were going to budget out for the next few years. So. Um, Hopefully next year that won't be an issue and, and we'll 
know in advance and we'll know where it's going. But right now I'm just, like I said, a little disenfranchised with how things are working out or looking from the, the, the education funding, not only in Queen Anne's County, but what I know statewide. And Commissioner Moran at the last meeting gave the moment of silence for education in the state of Maryland, unfortunately. pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's all I got. Roger. Thank you, Jack. Well said. Uh, I had the opportunity of going to um, Crumpton for their uh, banquet, so I'm, I, th I think I only have two more um, uh, uh, fire departments to go to. But I wanted to give a shout out to the top fire uh, responders for Crumpton, and my eyesight is so bad I can't read them. The third place was Wade Schauber, Kevin Coniglio. Second place was William Elborn. And the top responder with 132 calls was Jacob Elborn. So I just wanted to give a shout out to those folks. And the top re EMS responders was Don Papapazar. Second place was Chris Tingen with 80 calls. And the top EMS responder of 102 calls in Crumpton was Justin Skinner. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Philippe? So, um, so congratulations to our Queen Anne's County Women's Lions Varsity Basketball team for winning Bay, North Bayside. Uh, they put up a heck of a fight at the um, Bayside Championship game down in uh, Salisbury at the Civic Arena. It's a great basketball game. Um, they came up just short. Good news though, um, our high school basketball teams are competing in the state playoffs. Um, so I want to wish good luck to men and women or yep. Yep. Both uh, schools. Both schools. Every, every school gets to compete in the state playoffs. It's a win lose thing. Oh, okay. if, you, if you win, you keep going. If you lose, you're out. Um, but the lady lines look good this year. In fact, I think they're, they're young too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. There's uh, there's uh, two, two, there's a starting freshman, two sophomores, right? yeah. a starting sophomore, two starting juniors. In fact, the starting lineup are all coming back next year. So mm -hmm. it'll be exciting to see them. But best of luck to, to our, both our boys and girls varsity uh, basketball teams, high school basketball teams at both our schools as they move into the state playoffs. Uh, had an opportunity to um, attend the uh, Bay Area Association Realtors Awards breakfast. Uh, last week, um, it was an opportunity to see uh, some amazing work that, that our local realtors are doing in a very, very difficult market. Um, uh, and that was a treat. And of course, we all provided certificates of uh, congratulations to those. So uh, those are positive notes uh, following Jack's human glue <laughs> concerns about educational funding, where we're going with that. There we go. Counselor? All right. Because um, we did a lot of talk about legislation, I want to take a minute to thank uh, Commissioner Wilson for all his work with MAKO during the legislative session. Um, it is a huge amount of work that he goes through and getting to know all the legislation that's affecting the counties and making sure that not just Queen Anne's County, but rural counties in general, um, that our interests are being protected. So thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. I don't think the citizens of Queen Anne's County probably understand how big of that. It's a, it's a whole nother job in and of itself. It, it, it really is. It's a lot. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, there were some questions at the beginning when we had the hearing about the, uh, the water and sewer and the notice that goes out. 
And something I was thinking of that uh, we should look at, and I don't know if we can, how we can do this, Todd, but a lot of places where you go, there's a QR code you can scan with your phone. It automatically goes to a web page that has information. And something we hear a lot whenever there's a signage out for any sort of hearings coming up, whether it's water suitor or zoning, not enough information on the sign. You can only put so much information on a sign. The drivers aren't paying attention as they're driving by. But if there's, if we could adapt a, a QR code that, that everybody's got a cell phone, they could scan it, takes yep. in the page, it has all the information on that project they want. It gets, you know, more information to the public. Frankly, don't think it's going to make much of a difference in who turns out because, you know, it's work to show up and, and say how, how you feel about something. It's easier to go on social media and complain, but I am a big proponent of getting as much information out there as we can. Maybe I'll be proven wrong um, and giving more, more information will encourage the public to become more active. Um, but as I always say, showing up at meetings and saying how you view goes a lot further than complaining on social media that the commissioners don't care about anything. I mean, how many times do we see that? It's ridiculous. Um, the information's out there, but if we can make it even easier for people to find, I think, I think that's a... You're taking all that money from the developers. Uh, right, all, all, the, all the conspiracy theories, yeah. So that's why I cut my own hair, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea, the QR code. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, I think way. it's something we could probably do fairly yeah. easily. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and just the information's already there, right? So it's just a... A link for that, and it, it's just one more shortcut. Sometimes when you have the flyers and the tubes, it rains; they get wet. It's harder. So yeah. maybe if we incorporate that, that would uh, that would whatever help a bit. whatever happened to the um, being able to advertise electronically in place? Did that ever materialize, or was that a you had to make the choice to do that, or what? That was a bill that was in session last year that didn't get well, through the process. Through, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen it this year, so I guess it didn't come back. But that, I mean, let's face it, how archaic are we going to stay where we put it into paper? How many, how many read a paper? Right, I'm not even going to say once a day. I'm going to say once a month, right? Yeah. right? People get their information differently. Yeah. And so, and I would say probably 80% of the public now is doing it with either cell phone, computer, iPad, whatever, versus buying a newspaper. And granted, I know people still buy newspapers, but you've got to hit... Maybe that's why we didn't have anybody show up, because if it had been on social media, on Facebook, we'd have 100 people in here. You know what I mean? So can we, I think we can adopt that local and we utilize can. that and make it our own code to do that. And I think it's something we should look at doing here and maybe be a trendsetter for the rest of the state that we don't have issues where a sign blew over. So someone wants to cancel a hearing because a sign blew over. That's, right. I mean... I get it, but that was that's how they did it 50, 60 years ago. We're way past that with technology. Yeah, yeah. So if we can adapt, the QR code is a great idea because yep. I'd use that for everything now. It's very commonplace now. Very good. Uh, I want to start with uh, a week ago Saturday. Uh, I was able to go to the Canard uh, Museum, as I guess I'm going to call it now, uh, uh, in Clay, Washington. Uh, put on an event there for African-Americans working the waters of the Chesapeake. Mm. And it was, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. It really was. It was, it was a great, and I, but I'm more, you know, I, I just want to give a shout out to Clay. Uh, when I first became a commissioner, he was here. He was here all the time because he was trying to raise money to get the, to get the building refurbished and bring it back to life uh, with a vision. And he came three years in a row, he, you know, and, and God bless him the first time. He says, you know, if you give, you know, give me this 
help me out with this. I think I can raise the rest. And the next year he was there, he goes, well, if you give me this, I think I can raise the rest. And he stuck with it. And, and he, got the, he got it done. Uh, the museum's great. If you ever get an opportunity, oh. stop in there and look at it and check it out. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was there on Saturday, you know, just constantly with a positive message. And I just think kudos to him, uh, you know, that, that whole the organization that runs there, and he's, he, he's part of that board. Uh, they're blessed to have him there. I just think he's, he's just a great guy. Uh, second thing I want to talk about is the town hall. The town hall, everybody, we mailed these out, uh, again, is April 10th at 6.30 p.m. at Bayside Elementary School. And we're gonna have uh, boards up showing the, the routes for these um, closed ramps. And we're gonna take uh, comment and we're gonna make a presentation and, and hopefully bring you know, a little bit of more information to the, to the public on what we can do, what we can't do. And, and uh, in that, you know, we're gonna listen to suggestions, but again, you know, this isn't just about Stevensville or Chester or Graysonville, it's about the whole county. You know, this, our lifeline is Route 50 and we wanna keep that traffic out on Route 50 and out of our communities. And the last thing I wanna talk about is what we did tonight uh, with uh, University of Maryland Shore Medical in allocating uh, $5 million towards that, that new hospital. I just, you know, if you talk to Kathy Diotis, uh, Gary Mangum or Ken Cazell or, or any of our uh, the commissioners, and, and especially in emergency services, how important this hospital is going to be to this region and, and, and what it's going to do with the existing bridge and with the traffic and the, you know, access to quality care. You know, we have an emergency room here which handles small things, and that's what it's supposed to do so it doesn't clog up your hospital. And they've got those in the adjoining counties. And I think that this, you know, this, this regional hospital will be huge, and I think it's going to fill a major gap. And more importantly, how we funded it. I mean, you know, as we talk about the school uh, budget, and we're getting ready to get into the budget cycle, you know, we, we were, thank goodness, for some forward thinking way back in the day when Four Seasons was, was coming. I mean, to date, they've put a a brand new bathroom along the Cross Island Trail. They built a brand new 10 or $11 million freshwater wells that now service the entire county, the lower portion of the county. And they've given to the fire department I have about a half a million dollars to date. And this, this funding is only, I think it's less than half of what we will be getting. Uh, these are per unit cost, and uh, this was outside of our, you know, our, our our budget, so we're not taking away money from any other projects or any other needs, but thank goodness that money was there so we could help out get this project moving, because uh, the sooner it's done, the better off everybody's gonna be in our community. And that's all I got to say about that. I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you very much.